Hey friends, I'm Jeffrey Rickman. This is Plain Spoken. Um, the whole point of this thing that I do, it's not to gossip or say bad things about people, but uh, I was a conservative in the United Methodist Church. It's hostile territory. I want to uh, give good information to those who are conservative so that they feel equipped to navigate the waters and whatever annual conference they're in. I also want to try and uh, be kind of a representative voice for the right to people on the left who would like to uh, try and understand rather than demonize people on the right, uh, kind of explain how it is that we see things and why it is that we see things. This particular video is going to be looking at the Baltimore-Washington Annual Conference, which I've already covered to some degree, but I, I uh, have a couple people in that conference that I admire and, and respect, and I, I spent time watching their recent annual conference, and so I had some clips that I wanted to show you. I've got TJ in the, the studio today, and he hasn't seen any of this stuff, so I'm going to show him and kind of explain things to him. He'll, he'll kind of represent the perspective of people in other conferences who don't really know what's going on. Um, and the whole purpose here is to kind of explain dynamics going on in annual conferences, how it is that, that liberals see themselves as loving and then can behave in very uh, not loving ways. Um, and so uh, just laying out the basics of this, just so everybody's clear on Baltimore, Washington annual conference, um, they in, at the end of 2021 had 598 churches and they haven't seen a lot of decline uh, from 2019 to 2021 in number of churches. However, they have seen a huge decline in worship attendance uh, in those years. They saw two annual conferences, or not, local churches disaffiliate last year, and then at this year's annual conference, 23 departed despite very high uh, price to pay in order to leave. They were one of two conferences that had a very high... Um, uh, payout on uh, that was required for disaffiliating churches. They required 50% of the value of the building that they're in on top of all the other expenses. So it's prohibitively expensive. 40 other churches that, that can't afford it have filed uh, together through the National Center for Life and Liberty against the conference, and we'll see how that goes. But there, it's, a, it's a tense situation over there. Um, there's a much bigger... Um, black contingency, uh, black churches, um, and the bishop there has used racially charged language to kind of put um, those interested in disaffiliation and like the the Trump racist crew. Uh, I think, well, it's a question worth asking how much the black uh, crew has, has really swallowed that, but the, the, the vast majority of churches that have disaffiliated and shown interest in disaffiliation have been white. Churches. Remind me, bishop is over there. Latrell Easterling, former bishop, or not former, but former lawyer, very intelligent. Um, this this conference took place Wednesday, May thirty first through Saturday, June third, and this was the picture that was all over everything. It's all about love. The conference authored um, uh, on June fourth. Uh, an article about what transpired at the conference. The theme was all about love. It's all about love. So on the first day or two, they circled up in, in little circles, and in, in I think they called them love groups, I don't know, and they facilitated conversations about how much they loved each other and all this. Um, it, here's a section on the 23 churches leaving, and um, they also adopted a number of resolutions that are like far left. So I'm going to show you um, a clip 
here on uh, this lady speaking with respect to a resolution. Actually, it was a motion to permanently table a resolution that was, um, if anybody watched my, uh, there were three resolutions presented at all the jurisdictional conferences that were all adopted. One of them was kind of like a witch hunt, a pseudo witch hunt one, where it's like, if anybody is planning on leaving the denomination, they should drop off all the boards and agencies so that we can persecute you more easily. It, it doesn't, it doesn't say, but that's functionally what it does. Anyway, so um, she's wanting to take it off the table and vote on this resolution. A guy named Matt Sickle that I like a lot had just spoken. He is someone who had been pressured, extremely been examined under this kind of witch hunt thing, and he just said this would be a bad idea if we took it off the table and voted on it. Uh, as one who's been through witch hunt, it's no fun. So here's uh, her response. We have among us people who actively come into our congregations behind the back of the leadership who have worked to maintain United Methodist congregations, coming into our churches, leading our congregations to enter lawsuits and to take part in activities that are not building up the unity of the church. And then they stand at our microphones and say that they're committed and that's BS. And it is time for us to recognize that our future together as United Methodists needs to be among those who are committed to make disciples of Jesus Christ to transform our churches and to be part of revival. But this snake action behind the backs of clergy who we're supposed to be in covenant with will not stand. And I won't stand here and listen to them say that they are United Methodist when they are not. I love my brother, but I do want to punch him sometimes, but I love him. The chair is going to ask you to remember decorum. And you, I want you to continue speaking, but the chair is going to ask you to, to, to please watch the decorum. Sorry, I am a trained black belt. I believe someone who has just said she is capable of lethal force has threatened to punch another member of our conference, Bishop Easterling. This must not stand. I am ready to file charges right now against my sister in Christ if we, she does not withdraw her comments, and I believe we must stop. And this is the very reason, if I may say, why I moved to table this in the first place. Um, I, I fully understood the spirit of why the, your motion was made. Reverend Rudolph, the chair really did take it as, again, that's why the chair asked you to, to watch your decorum. I understand some might receive it in humor, but we are living in very emotionally driven, tense times. And so, I, no, there, there, there's no clapping, beloved. There's no clapping for this. We are trying to do our work of holy conferencing. And it's hard. Again, we talked just the other day about we're in deep days. This is what we're talking about. And again, it's easy to talk about things in generalities. It's hard when it becomes the particular. And so, Reverend Rudolph, the chair presumes that you really did not intend to threaten Reverend um, Sickle. Was I, but I love him the way I love my little brother that I grew up with. And so you, I, believe, I would ask you to retract your comment. 
my comment. Thank you. I retract my comment, and I said, I want to, and then I said, as an aside, I'm really proud of after 20 years, anyway. But the point is, there is not integrity when we're working behind one another's backs. Point of order, microphone one. I'm sorry, but Bishop E. Sterling, that is not a retraction. Reverend Gorman. I, I know, but. Reverend Gorman, the chair, if anything else occurs, the chair will, will suspend uh, further comment. But I, she, she retracted the comment. Thank you. Um, microphone three. All I want to say is I said at this circle of love yesterday that we live with those tensions of love and anger, but when we're honest about how we feel and what we're doing and what we're up to, that is when the kingdom of God breaks in, but it takes honesty and integrity. God bless you all. She talks a little bit more after this. I, I originally planned on, on showing a bit more. Uh, to her credit, Bishop Easterling, after this exchange, does go speak a bit more about how inappropriate and unhelpful it is to make comments such as that. But I thought it'd be helpful just to get your reaction on, uh, oh, I forget her name, uh, <clears throat> Melissa Rudolph. This uh -huh. is, she was the one who spoke... Uh, what do you think? Was this appropriate for the floor of annual conference? Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm a black belt and I want to punch you. Like, no, it's not. Uh, it's uh, surprising. Like, she, there was no. She definitely didn't mean it jokingly. She was. She was. She was aggravated. You could tell. She was she aggravated. Was, it, it. I did not think she was literally going to find a chance to punch him in the face. But she. No, she no. was conveying that she was very angry to angry to the point of of wishing harm upon him. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't see her actually doing it, but, I mean, obviously she wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's, that was... It, I thought the snake thing at first was like, oh, this is going to be... This, that's that's the, the the surprising comment. This is, well, that's why you picked that thing out. No, it was the, <laughs> I'm going to punch you, but I love you, but I love you, like yeah. a little brother. I mean, the whole time she's visibly angry oh, like yeah. she's speaking from a very angry place she's flailing her arms about uh she's uh apparently what what happened before here was uh her churches she's part of a multi-point charge her churches a couple of them were interested in learning about disaffiliation the process of disaffiliation she wasn't going to represent that to them one of her board chairs contacted matt sickle to come and he said i'll come but you need to make sure your pastor knows first and and they gave him, I don't know if, if, if it was in writing or not, the impression that she was aware of it, she was cool with it, he went and presented, he thought everything was cool until he got summoned to the DS's office to answer for it. He was told that charges had been filed, turns out charges were never filed, he didn't hear anything about it afterwards until this uh, confrontation oh, wow. on the floor of annual conference, so she did not speak to him privately. She says she loves him like a little brother. Yeah, that's that should be one of the first things that you do is like go to him like, hey, what's what's up? I hear you're talking to my churches. Uh, what's going on? Like, yeah, I know about that. Not like, oh, this I love this guy, but I want to punch him, and I'm a black belt, so I can back it up. So yada, something yada. that adds some more humor to this is uh, uh, Mrs. Rudolph here was one of the people responsible for leaving, leading one of these love table discussions. So she's, she's one of these exemplars of love 
at this conference about love. The bishop over and over is calling people beloved, beloved, and yet you have somebody yeah. who's a leader in the conference get up. I mean, it seems, so it doesn't seem necessary, well, it seems dysfunctional in the love. So like, uh, I know you and I are both perfect and we never do anything wrong, but there are people who um, their love is like tinged with hate. And mm -hmm. so you'll find this dysfunctional behavior where there's physical threats, yelling, Cat, uh, caric characterizing people's actions as snake actions, but then they're like, I love you, but I want to punch your face. Yeah, like, how and is that's that... just not a good way to be in relationship with yeah, people. Yeah, that's not... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you can, like, hold both at the same time in, in your mind. Like, I, it's weird to me. It's a weird... Well, I think it's increasingly normal. I mean, how many... It's like a normal thing for people to slam doors in their households and yell at their spouse and have knockdown, drag out fights, even if it's not physical. Like to even, I mean, can you imagine it? Well, you're not married yet, but if if my wife and I were arguing, I said, "Man, I love you, but I want to punch you in the face sometimes." Like, or if she said that to me, like that is completely inappropriate. And yet, you have a clergy woman here who who honestly thought that that was an okay way to come at somebody on the floor of annual conference and when she's called out on it for a first time says I'm a trained black belt you know yeah. which that just digs the hole even further and then uh you know the the response from the the man was very firm but also a bit it's hard to know like how to respond in such so I I highlighted that just to to lift up the hypocrisy of we're going to act holy and loving, and yet this sort of behavior is, is these sort of anger and feelings are under the surface, and we're really not. Our leadership is using language that um, postures at love, but actually facilitates this level of resentment and anger. And so we'll see that as we look at some of the other clips that I've got. I wanted to turn to the story of um, Travis Knoll, K-N-O-L-L. -L. He... Um, got physically removed from the annual conference for handing out letters. And so um, they had a sign up outside of the convention center they were in. I guess it was in a hotel. And um, he was handing out a letter that, that I'll show you here in a minute. Well, but, and, and before you go into this, he was, he was pre-approved for this, correct? Exactly. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he had already let the conference know he was going to be standing there. He gave them copies of what he was going to be handing out. He had their permission and approval. They were clear on where he was going to be standing. All of this had been done ahead of time. According to him, a Mr. Arrington approached him as he was handing it out. There was, there was a sign said, no handing out beyond this point. And the guy said, you got to be 25 yards further this direction, which would put him out of the flow of traffic. And he said, uh, no, I've gotten approval to be here. Um, and then uh, he informed him that he would have him removed if he didn't come. So then he summoned a hotel employee who I guess had been hired as security that uh, told him that he had five seconds to choose to walk out of the hotel peacefully, otherwise he wouldn't be able to do so. So that's, that's crazy. That's I, yeah, a I saw his threat. comment um, on, on one of the, the, the group pages, um, and I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. So he's of the mind that there aren't many people. So given that the conference had already signed off on it, what had happened just before this is Bishop Easterling had walked by and given him the stink eye. And so he's of the mind that she's 
probably. You know, there's no way to be certain, but she's probably the one that got the security's attention and said, I want that guy out. Remind here. me what this document he was passing out said. Did you go or you didn't go? Yeah, right? I've, no, I've got it. I've got it. I'm gonna, I'll pull it up for okay. you. Um, let's see. It's called an open letter. I'm going to put it full screen on the page here. Um, oh, heck. Can I zoom in? Yes. All right. So he drafted this with two other men, Heath Wilson. After prayerful reflection, we feel to compel to write this letter to share what we feel is a significant moral hazard facing the Baltimore-Washington Conference. It is operating outside of the bounds of the discipline. Even so, our policy burdens congregations that object and desire to remain in harmony with the discipline by withdrawing from our conference. In 2019, the conference began ordaining clergy outside of the bounds allowed by the Book of Discipline. So he's, he's almost certainly referring to LGBTQ, well, just gay people are explicitly right. um, referred to. We continue to do so. Um, the conference does this apparently because this is what the consciences of a majority of our full member clergy dictate. Some congregations object to this deliberate and sustained disobedience to both our rules and process. To allow space for ministry for congregations in these or similar situations, paragraph 2553 of the Book of Discipline was passed in 2019 to allow for disaffiliation provides a link to these things. Nationally, two-thirds of annual conferences have allowed a no additional surcharge disaffiliation to such congregations. Our conference has not. Instead, our conference trustees policy adds a 50% of property value surcharge. The fees incurred vary, but range from tens of thousands to several millions of dollars per congregation. So we learned during the session, I don't think I have this in one of the clips, but they got, I think, over $10 million from this surcharge. The conference did. Um, the co- was that just from those first? Because it the says twenty-three. Two uh, I don't know about the first two churches, but from the twenty-three that disaffiliated this year, oh, ten million dollar payouts. Ju- yeah. The consequence of this will be the diminishment or destruction of vital and thriving ministries. We voted last year to allow two churches to disaffiliate under this policy, and this year's list includes 20 more, yet more than 40 others object to this surcharge on legal and moral grounds. They have filed a lawsuit to express their objection. For more on this, here's a link. And then the key question, how much should conscientious objectors in the minority be asked to pay to exercise their consciences? In such a disagreement, what should we then do? Some would say that legal action is inappropriate. There are scriptures that can be read to support this belief. However, the purpose of courts is to adjudicate at last resort conflicting claims of legal and moral justice when direct conversation among parties in question fail. As for us, we believe that there is a court that is above all others, so we call for prayer. Please pray with us, and if your prayers lead you, join us as we encourage our uh, conference leaders who pursue their consciences to likewise allow all our brothers and sisters an unhindered path to pursue their conscience and ministries, and then they personally sign it. So they're pretty bold, um, to my mind, not um, being anonymous, not uh, right. doing this. So anyway, they, they got conference approval to do this. He was handing it out. Of course, there was some pushback, but then when the bishop herself seems to have taken offense and hired security, removed him, he just went home. He got he assumed he was just kicked out of conference for the rest of the time, but then he got an email from his DS saying, no, you were just expelled. You weren't. Oh, heck, what was the other word? But he said, you got to come back now. So he came and finished a uh, conference two days after that. Wow. That seems relatively tame. Like, I don't think that's something to, to physically accost, like, somebody for. Like, that's that's a, a lot of money. 
Um, and there's so many churches that would not be able to disaffiliate because of just because of that. Not not even including the other charges that they're going to be incurring if they want to disaffiliate. Like that's that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it helps them to maintain this um, impression that nobody wants to leave. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, nobody's leaving. Like. <laughs> Look, there's only a few people that are leaving. Like it's, we're doing great. We're doing. Everybody wants to stay. Well, there's. If I have a passive aggressive relationship with my wife, and she, in order to leave my household, has to pay me money she does not have, otherwise she's out on the street. She's really gotta be willing to lose everything yeah, to leave like, me. You, you can't keep the car. You can't keep the house. I'm taking everything. Um, here's a bag. Put some clothes in it and get out. That's. <laughs> But you can leave whenever you want. Yeah, to. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah just leave ridiculous. everything you have. Yeah, the the bishop. Uh, I don't know if you know this. She sent out a letter. Actually, her name is not signed at the bottom, but it's sent out. It's almost certainly her. She sent out a letter in response once Travis circulated the story of what had happened. I think I saw this. She she sent out a letter to everybody in the annual conference. Anyone that had an email address for so uh, it it definitely got a lot of attention. Um, but she, I, I underlined the parts where she, her account differs from his. She says he began to violate conference rules by not remaining the required distance from the meeting space while distributing his message. And then a security consultant hired for the session asked him to observe the required distancing. Upset by this encounter, the person wrote and distributed an email to conference churches presenting a version of facts that differs from those of the security personnel and other observers. That's kind of a polite way of calling them a liar. Right. Um, and then while it is unfortunate that such a small number of people choose to act on further personal agendas, the conference has policies, procedures, and channels that allow individuals and groups throughout the connection to express themselves and their thoughts in constructive ways. So um, categorically, what, uh, what you come away thinking here is it was inappropriate content, which we just read through it, and very appropriate in tone, yeah. gives firsthand resources, acknowledges that, that scriptures can be read in ways that don't, don't fit their agenda. Links the bishop's video that she specifically put out. Right. So even so, you know, it's one of these things where you say one thing, do another. Does love sick security on someone acting in good faith yeah. and then call them a liar through a, a conference-wide correspondence? It seems petty, uh, unnecessary it, it would have been much more gracious just to let him hand out his stuff and have a transparent conversation but that's really not right. something that's of interest to them apparently so anything else to say about travis knoll and his episode i think it would be either she obviously doesn't put the specific details in there about the the distance and all of that stuff no. which i thought i mean i guess she probably doesn't she may or may not know who, who knows um but i think that would that would be helpful and and like to see his approval from the conference, like I believe that he actually got it. I don't. I don't see any reason that he would lie about that. Um, I, I think if you're going to do something like that, make sure that you save the stuff. You've got it in writing, just so when they come back at you, because they will come back at you. Just be here's here's the receipts. Like this is this is where I was. This is how this is what they said. I'm doing everything right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. This is from a person who. Uh, one of the DSs tried to kick oh, you out of yes. annual we didn't conference. Even talk about that. It's uh, when we went over the. I know we didn't. Uh, yeah. So TJ was TJ was uh, official press. He'd gotten officially approved as press 
for annual conference, and one of the DSs at Oklahoma Annual Conference came up to him and said, you can't take pictures, and he just kind of points down at his his press pass and is like, this is what press does, and then she tried to get you kicked out. She yeah. went yeah. to the she's, head of the press. She's and then, like, we can go find somebody if you want to. I'm like, okay, let's go find somebody. <laughs> like, I went through this process. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to register as a guest this time because in October I registered as a guest yeah. um, and then showed up and I was taking pictures, and they didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm ahead of time. I'm going to, I thought, okay, let's, let's do this the proper way in case they do say anything. And I registered. It was easy. Um, talked to the people there, got a press pass, super, they, they, they hired out some company that, uh, some third party company that works for the conference to, to set everything for the press up. And it was, they were super, super nice. Great. Yeah. yeah. No, fantastic. And um, when she came at him, he went to bat for you. He's like, this yeah. is what they're here to do. And then she went and tried to go over his head. Right. Yeah. And then she came back and went straight to her seat. Nothing more said. I, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is somebody with the church. And I am like, maybe I'm off somewhere and not, not understanding right. yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. Maybe she knows more than what she's talking about. No, she's just a DS from she just but going this is to the how, bathroom. This or is something. how power works in the United Methodist Church. People in authority, they just feel entitled and they will assert themselves. And unless you've got something in writing, unless you've got a badge, mm-hmm. they're going to to run you over. Well, so. and even if you have that, like they're still going to try to run you they're over. They're going to try to, but uh, yeah, it would have been helpful in this case. Yeah, no, she was just some it. random DS that decided that she wanted to come up and she just didn't like the fact that we have cameras. He's like, oh, we, we, we weren't told, they were, we were told there wouldn't be any cameras. I'm so like, the no exhortation, if you're still watching this, is get stuff in writing, make sure that anyone who tries to keep you from doing stuff has, has to answer to somebody. Uh, if it's your word against theirs and there's no witnesses, record, first off, get your recorder going, but secondly, uh, uh, do your best. I don't know. Sometimes you're just, they're, they're going to abuse you. Um, this next clip, I wanted to show you Blango Ross. Um, as I told you, there's there's a lot of black churches in this area. They've generally begin, been construed as not wanting to leave um, the denomination. But um, here, well, we'll see what questions this raises. Uh, we A question that we've had for a while at our church, um, there was a video released in Mother's Day weekend that said churches have had four years to discern this question in this paragraph, and we only have it last year in annual conference that we get the trustees clear instructions for churches to disaffiliate. So the question is to the trustees, why wasn't Baltimore Washington Conference churches given four years to really deliberate the question that's before us today? First of all, you're incorrect because we actually had churches disaffiliate last year. It was, so this is 23, so it's a... So that's the chair of the Board of Trustees, who's also clergy. I'm forgetting her name at the moment. 21, that we um, came out with the full process for the Baltimore-Washington Conference. Um, it was not something that was done in a vacuum. We took a lot of time, I would say, because we wanted to make sure that we got it right. There was plenty of discussion. There was a lot of back and forth. You only see one trustee up here, but there is a board of trustees. And there are people within that board that are representing every district. Clergy and laity are represented. 
and there are some, it's almost becoming a kind of thing, and, and I won't name any names because they know who they are, that no matter what are going to question the decisions that are brought forth. So this is not anything that, that was taken lightly. Um, sometimes it feels personal. I'll leave it at that. Fun exchange, right? So Blango, Reverend Ross, says, hey, you've been acting like we've just been twiddling our thumbs. You said we had four years. This all, you know, we didn't get anything in writing as to how to go through this process until very recently. Mm -hmm. Why? Her answer is, first off, you're wrong. There were two churches that disaffiliated last year. Last year. Last year. And then, hey, you know what? There's a whole board. This was hard work. We wanted to do a good job. So, you know... You, you got it at the pace you got it. That's how I would sum up what was said. Yeah, she's like, don't don't question it. Like, how dare you question it? She was obviously personally offended by the whole <laughs> the whole situation. She, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's just like, uh, yes, there's this veneer of professionalism, but like, she she's saying she's responding in a very personal way to what really seems to be, to my mind, a fair question of why are you portraying this like we had all the time in the world? Right. We. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend to have inner knowledge of, of uh, Reverend Ross's uh, uh, congregation, but we've just seen so many congregations who have a hard time reckoning with the fact that the window is this small. Mm -hmm. Baltimore, Washington, their cutoff date for applying was a couple months ago. There are a lot of churches that didn't realize, hey, there's, the cutoff is months before annual conference, and then there is no other conference, even though the cutoff is at the end of this year, there isn't going to be another conference before the end of the year for Baltimore, Washington. Yeah. So well, you're essentially trapped if you haven't got through. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, you you either have to have a pastor that, like, knows about this and is actually willing to talk about it. And there's a lot of pastors that won't talk about it or bring it up at all. Right. Or somebody on the board that's interested in it that's going to try to bring it to the congregation um, and let them know. Because most congregations are not even going to know about it. Right. Like, so you have to have at least – one of those two things before you're even going to hear about it. Or, or if you pay attention to United Methodist politics, like it's, right. it, it's understandable. And when there's so many needs know. in a local church, things that you, you, sh you want to pay attention to, to make it a priority for this thing that seems far off, you know, it's, well, there were only ch two churches that were proactive enough to do it. Uh, and that had enough money last to do year. It. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's really remarkable that any churches at all yeah. do it. But then you're making it seem, well, these very exceptional cases were able to do it, so we it's right for us to expect for you to do it. Yeah. It just seems disingenuous. I'll give you one more disingenuous clip. Oh, I shouldn't have framed it that way. Um, as I understand it, there are 50, roughly 53 annual conferences in the United States. I don't know if I got that exactly right. And uh, my understanding is that there are only two requiring a 50% property assessment, ours, and uh, I think it's Desert Southwest. Could I ask the trustees to explain their reasoning why they felt a 50% property assessment was justified uh, given the general conference spirit in which they um, passed the protocol and given the fact that our bishop was a signer on that protocol that unfortunately we never got around to address. Thank you for your question. The property, church property, and financial assets of a church represent the donations of generation after generation. You just heard 
uh, testimony of someone whose family has for generations been a part of believers of that church. The trustees believe that there has to be some consideration given to the gifts and ties that were given by those generations and for the ministries of the United Methodist Church. So the property payments are calcul calculated as 50% of the tax assessed value of the church owned property. As an aggregate, the $10.8 million identified in the disaffiliation agreements for the properties are equal to 19% of the overall property and financial assets of the 23 disaffiliating churches. So she's saying even though we charged 50% of the property value, they have other assets that when you figure all those assets into it, it only takes up like one-fifth of their total assets. What of all of the churches, mm -hmm. not of each one specifically. Like, right. So if you've, got a, if you've got one church that has a ton of assets, yeah. that's going to offset all of those other, to get that 19% number. Sure. So that's But I mean, a, if you just think about, okay, any given household, if you look, uh, figure out the total assets of any given household, one-fifth of it, if you ask them to pay one-fifth of it, they're not going to be able to. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. That's like just that's... not even a realistic prospect. It's amazing that 23 were able and willing to do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, 25 total, I guess. So, but his... I'm sure they're pretty large churches. <sighs> it's Maybe it's not something that I've checked out. Yeah. So, But you've got... I mean, this is still... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a further left conference than most. Um, they've got these 25 that have disaffiliated. They've got another 40 that are filing because they can't afford to go... And then there are probably some others that are trapped, you know, but there are a lot that seem happy. Um, I, I lifted this up just because this is how power works whenever it gets in the hands of lefties. There's not a concern for the consciences of others. Like, as you hear her responding to this, there is no compassion for congregations that cannot bear the financial load. They're just the bad guys, and they're wrong to even object to this high fee. So this high fee... Yeah, no, in her eye, it's it's being generous. Right. Like, it's not, it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. The, you've got generations before that were loyal to the United Methodist Church. You guys just want to be disloyal. You're lucky we're letting you go. Right. When, you know, I mean, that that completely... It's the gift of your property. Yeah, we heard that line, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. said. <laughs> so, but it, there's, I, I can't tell how many liberals are just unable to conceive that people in the past would not be happy with the direction that the institution is going or if they're just unwilling to or like if they don't even think that's relevant you know there's just like this strong institutional mentality that hey no matter what direction the UMC goes you have to be with us because those who came before were tied to this institution yeah even if it was a very different institution back in the day but i don't know the other implication here is all those other conferences that didn't put a 50% surcharge on there obviously don't value the generations that came before. Yeah. They're yeah, letting people that's off. that's under, underlying implication from what she said. Yeah, when the, when the question is, look at what the majority of other annual conferences did. Yours is so much more punitive. Why is it more punitive? Because we care. Because we care about old older generations there the, it the is. people that came before us and you don't yeah, yeah. you guys who are leaving you're disloyal i've watched uh, the south carolina um, disaffiliation i don't think i'm going to do a video on it um, they refused to do 2553 they did 2549 instead they closed, closed? Okay. yeah 
closed all the churches, and there was only one black church on there, and one guy got up, and he said, I just want to acknowledge there's only one church on this list. It was a hundred and some churches that's black, and the vast majority of black churches are staying with the United Methodist Church. You guys have been loyal, and we applaud you. And so, like, yeah, there's this clear tone of if you're leaving, you are disloyal. Um, So conservatives would say we are being loyal to the Methodist project, which has been compromised in the UMC. But there's there's no concern for that in uh, within UMC leadership. So I mean, they're being loyal to an institute is all they the the left really seems to to care about. They're loyal to. I would say a hostile religion that has invaded the United Methodist Church and co-opted the, yeah. the the structure. And I, yeah, I didn't. I'm not thinking you disagree with me, but it's really. I think it's important for people who watch this to understand. They use the same words, and they talk about love, but what they believe is a, a power-based, um, institutional, uh, coercive way of, of handling churches. So, you know, and I've said it from the beginning, if, if there were no costs associated with leaving the United Methodist Church, I, I think something like 70 or 80% of congregations would just be out the door. They don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, them. I'd say at least half for yeah. sure. So, but the, because they've stacked the deck the way that they have, they, well, nobody thought we'd be seeing the numbers of disaffiliations that we're seeing right now. And so in Alabama, West Florida, they just, we're, I'm about to do another video on this, they just put out a new version of the disaffiliation agreement, which makes it so that no more can leave because they've lost half of their churches now. Nobody thought they were going to lose that much. Everybody is losing their minds. So they're just going to continue to re-stack the deck until there are just no more cards to Change play for people posts. on the right. Yes, move the goalposts, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, we got to wrap this one up. If you spent time with us, the main takeaway here, I think, is you can talk about love, you can use Jesus' name a lot, but the the situation is still at its root more based on like power, money, coercion, and winning the culture war. And so it's really just, you know, what they're wanting to do is coerce right-leaning people to acknowledge them as like the rightful inheritage, uh, inheritors of the Methodist heritage or... Uh, and that they are Christians, and and I just think that that's a when they're making you lie on the way out the door, saying, "Oh, we love each other, and we just need to part ways." You know, that's just not the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, we have two diametrically opposed ideologies within the same institution that increasingly don't like each other and need away from each other. We've been stuck in a cage match for a long time. Let us go. And the only reason that they would say no is out of concern for for property and money, which they're losing. And those are just worldly values, and you can't legitimate those within the church. So anyway, um, if you like seeing the videos and the conversation with me me and TJ, or you just like making fun of my stupid hair or whatever, like the video, share it with somebody. Um, I I hope this is useful to you as you prepare for your own annual conference. if you have continually been banking on good faith communication uh, within the annual conference, this, this I hope, just helps you sober up and realize you can't count on that. Um, be strong, be mature, uh, comport yourself with holiness, but don't count on others doing it. Otherwise, they're going to catch you unaware. You're going to get kicked out. You're going to get trampled upon. Uh, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. All right, I'll see you later.